0: because uh, we're in for a treat this morning because we're in the series uh, called Life of Faith. And we're specifically talking about our life of faith at work, when we go to work. Our verse for uh, this series is Colossians 3.17, that everything I do and everything I say, I would do it for the glory of the Lord, that I would live all of my life for Him. And as I preached last week, you know that we spend the majority of our life at work. 100,000 hours of your life, if you don't work overtime, will be spent in the workplace. And so we give a pretty big chunk of our life to work, and we believe that God has something for us to do while we're there. And so we've been talking about that for the past few weeks, but I know what can happen because people, they talk, and so I hear them. And and it's one of those things like, well, Pastor Darrell... I mean, you, you really don't know what it's like to have a real job. I mean, you just, you just work like one hour a week, and, and uh, so you don't know. I mean, you don't work with any non-Christians other than Pastor Fred, so you don't really know. Well, someone's got to tell the dirty jokes, right? I don't know. but, uh, but <laughs> I'm just having fun. I'm doing that because he's not in here, because uh, yeah, he'd, be, he'd be pretty mad right now. But, uh, so, so don't tell. We're not recording, right? No? Okay. Oh, we are. Good. Oh, boy. So, but I understand that, that, that you can say, you know what, Pastor Gerald. I know you know the Bible, and I know that you can preach, and I know that you can tell us how to work, live at work, but I don't know that you really know what it's like in the workplace. And, and so that's why I've asked three good friends to come and speak this morning and to challenge you and the reason I chose them is not just because they're good friends of mine, but because they are respected counselors and advisors on our pastor's council here at the church. And they are all successful at what they do. And I have personally watched them in the workplace as I visited them, and I've seen uh, that they are living out Colossians 3.17. And so you will have no more excuses not to listen anymore anymore as we welcome uh, these three people to, uh, to give the word today. The first one is Jim D'Angelo. I'm gonna invite Jim to come up and join me here. And then uh, Jennifer Schmidt is actually out of town, kind of on a work thing, so um, she's gonna be speaking uh, via video and then Mark Bechtold is gonna come up. Mark is a police officer uh, in the city of Mount Prospect. Jennifer is a salesperson for the Hyatt Corporation. And Jim is the chief operating officer of Lou Malnati's Pizza. And, uh, oh, wow, there you go. I'm not sure if that was for you, Jim, or for the pizza. But uh, (laughs) would you welcome Jim as he comes and take your sermon notes out, your Bibles?
1: Thanks, Daryl. This is a different view than Saturday night, Daryl. You didn't tell me about this, it's a little more intimidating. But uh, um, let me start out with a little background about me and where I work. Uh, Like Daryl said, I work for Lumilnadis, I'm the chief operating officer. Uh, I started when I was 15 years old as a busboy and a cook and a dishwasher. Um, this June, it'll be 30 years that I'll be there. And uh, if you're trying to do the math, it's, I'm 45. So I um, <laughs> guess that's why they made me the COO. I can do numbers quick. So, um, And my whole family, my wife and I met there. She still works there in our, at our home office. Um, all my brothers and sisters, all four of them have worked there. My sister-in-law works there, my mother-in-law worked there, a couple of my cousins have worked there, and my two oldest kids currently work there. Um, So you could kind of say it's my family uh, outside of my family. Um, And a little background about Lou Milnati's, they opened up in 1971, so it'll be 43 years this year. Uh, It's owned by two brothers who took over when their father passed away in the late 70s, Mark Milnati and Rick Milnati and both are Christians. Um, Mark, when I came to the company, was already saved. And uh, I got to experience Rick along the way about ten years in um, when uh, he was on his uh, seeking path. And I was not saved when I uh, started working at Milnati's. I grew up uh, kind of as a semi-active Catholic Italian, you know, and kind of when you got that combo going, uh, it's a little tough. You kind of feel like you're disowning your family. If you do anything else, then, uh, then stick with that. So um, little, that's a little background about, uh, about me and about our company. And when Daryl asked me to speak about faith at work, um, the first thing I thought of that I had to kind of speak about is my testimony because it was very much intertwined with work. And my earliest memory of um, faith and work kind of coming up was in the early 90s uh, we were doing a charity event downtown at our downtown location, which I ran, um, with the Bulls, who were winning championships at the time. And I'm not sure if that's important, but it's always a nice memory. So, um, And, you know, grueling day, really trying to do it really well. It's a high-profile event. And the end of the night, I think it was about midnight, I was walking out to my car with Mark Melnati, and... Uh, And I think somehow we got on the subject of church with, you know, being the fact that it was a charity event and we were, you know, giving and where the money went. And I kind of had heard he was a born-again Christian and I said, I took a little risk and I said, hey, I want to say something to you. I'm a little nervous. He's like, no, go ahead. I said, you're a born-again Christian, right? And he said, yeah. I said, it kind of freaks me out. He goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, it kind of seems, uh, I didn't want to say this, but I said it, cultish to me a little bit? I don't know, you know, it just was little, little intimidating, and he goes, well, okay, why? Why do you say that? And I said, well, I just, I see your kids, and I imagine, you know, they were little at the time, like, walking around going, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, and I thought, mm, you get them early and you brainwash them, I guess that's the way you kind of do it, you know, and. And he looked at me and he said, um, I can understand that. I understand why you would say that. It seems that way, he said. But, you know, for me, Jim, it's just been such a big part of my life, and it's been such a, an awesome thing for me. Of course, why would I not want to share that with my kids? Of course, why would I not want to share that with my wife? Why would I not want to share that with you, the people I care about? Something good for me, I want to share that with the people who matter to me most. It was a different response than I had expected. I really kind of probably expected a little bit of a a fight or a 10 steps why he's right and I'm wrong or, you know, that kind of thing. And it was really inviting to me, and I think it really planted a seed for me to start to seek and that this was, you know, not maybe what I had seen or what I had seen on TV or maybe somebody I had experienced across along the way. Um, And fast forward to about five, seven years later... um, Lou uh, Mark and Rick had become um, friends with a pastor in, in a community that's here in Chicago called uh, Lawndale Community Church, a little storefront church, a uh, pastor from Iowa who moved here to Chicago and moved into this uh, neighborhood called Lawndale, which I don't know if any of you are familiar with it, but it is, it was, it not is, it was one of the ten poorest neighborhoods in the nation, not just in Chicago, not just in Illinois, but in the nation at one time. It was a neighborhood that had kind of um, you know, been thriving in the 60s, and then during the race riots, it got burned out and then never rebuilt. And, uh, and so this pastor moved in, and he started some. Um, he started uh, this storefront church that turned into a big church. They then turned, uh, started a health clinic, and then they started a, a um, development corporation, and very impressive what, what they've done. This health clinic, I think, is going to see near 100,000 people this year. But... He met Rick through Fellowship of Christian Athletes and started with this idea of, like, you guys should come and open a restaurant in Lawndale. You guys could be a lighthouse. You could draw other businesses here. We could get jobs. We could get economic viability back in this community. Um, and like any good pastor, he, he went on the fact, Daryl, that it's your 10th store, so it could kind of be like tithing and giving back, too, you know. So, um, And it was really modeled after uh, what something that was happening in Harlem, New York, a Ben and Jerry's, they were, they were starting one. And so the brothers flew out there, decided to do this, um, and came back to us as a company. And I'm still not saved at the time. And uh, Mark gives us this book that's called Real Hope in Chicago that this pastor, Wayne Gordon, his, his, he goes by coach. He was a, uh, actually a high school football coach at Farragut. But... Um, He gives us this book to read because he wants us to know, those of us working, what we're we're doing. And this book basically spells out like a lot of the programs they've started, but more more what caught me in this book was the lives that were changed, the people, Um, you know, whether it was one guy who was coming out of prison and had turned his life around, whether it was somebody coming off of drugs, whatever it was. And... I took that book home that night, and it was an easy read, thank goodness for me, because I'm not a reader, I'm more of a doer, I guess, if you work in the restaurant business, you'll understand that a little bit, but um, I couldn't put it down, I literally couldn't put it down, I just was drawn to it, and I remember finishing at about one in the morning, laying the book down, and just praying to God, I said, I'm not sure what you want me to do in this, I said, but I give myself to whatever it is, you know, and... That sounds better than it is because I kind of had an idea like, okay, go help train on your day off or go do something along those lines, pretty low profile. Well, the very next day, uh, Mark Milnati came up to me and he said, Jim, we got a little change in plans with Lawndale, Um, the woman who's supposed to be the district manager. Her boyfriend's not too crazy about her going into this neighborhood, so you are going to be the district manager for Lou Milnati's Lawndale. I said, okay, God, I guess it's pretty clear what you want me to do here, you know. Um, Well... I got involved in that restaurant, and then I got involved in that community, and I met a guy who um, was a guy from the neighborhood, and we had been talking about, you know, just being new dads, being fathers, just this, and he said, hey, you should come down to the church every Monday. The men get together, and uh, we just talk about the stuff we've talked about, you know, and I thought, hmm. I've heard of this thing called Bible study, it kind of sounds like that, I don't think I'm too crazy about it, you know, and he asked me about literally 10 times and finally I gave in and uh, decided to go down there and the pastor was leading it and we played basketball and we uh, had a Bible study and um, when I went, I was I was hooked. They had me at hello, so they say, you know, because for two straight years I attended that Bible study and... Um, it changed my life, obviously. I gave my life to Christ during that process, and so, um, like the song said earlier today, changed forever in in that moment right there. So, that's the first thing I thought of when Daryl said faith and work, and it's just such a, work was a part of my salvation, and, you know, here is the guy who who invited me down was a guy who actually later on told me that he had been in prison, and that he uh, was very nervous about telling me that, but something happened between him and I, and I just kind of wrap up my testimony by saying something that the world would look as having no value, a community that was in the 10 poorest with a man coming out of prison who the community would look at and say has no value. And I say community, probably myself also at the time gave me the most valuable gift in my life. And then that gift I then gave what to my with my wife and my kids and my brother. And so it's just moved along unbelievably for me. Second thing I thought of when Daryl said to speak about faith at work, I thought well, people are going to kind of have the response to me that they have to you a little bit. Like, you're, it's easy for you. You have two brothers who are Christians. How difficult could it be at work? And I think to some degree that's true. You know, I mean, having support at the top for, like, for that, we have conversations, we talk about it. Um, and so it's easier in some ways. Um, but I think with that easy, easiness, I don't know if that's a word or not, but Daryl says yes, so I'll go with that. Um is a responsibility that maybe doesn't come in other work situations, and that is how we run our business. I'm a leader. I'm, a, I'm in the executive leadership team at our company, and so I feel a sense of responsibility to run our company and do things in a way that promote Christian values and Christ, you know, God's view of the world and God's grace and... Um, And that's not easy, especially when you're in the position that I am of management. Management, typically, we're talking 90% of the time about the 10% that's wrong and 10% of the time about the 90% that's good. And so that doesn't always come off like very godly or very Christian, you know. And so one of the things I try to stress upon my managers when we're training them or when we're, you know, going over how to manage people is to allow people to maintain dignity. They are people, no matter what. Even in firing people, even in reprimanding people, you can still allow them to maintain their dignity through the process. Um, And that's been important for us, and uh, I think that shows. Another thing is we do um, a lot of this kind of self-work where we are trying to better ourselves as leaders, as people, Um, and so um, a lot of times, again, that has, to do with 90% of the time spending on the 10% that we need to improve on. And so we kind of rest on the principle of iron sharpening iron. We're trying to build and grow ourselves by subjecting ourselves to each other so we can sharpen ourselves and our skills and our leadership style with each other. Um, But we also have a rule that kind of says you know you do this by telling the truth in love, right? Because truth without love kind of is like getting hit with a hammer. And love without truth is kind of just flattery and feels like people are trying to fluff you up. But when you have truth and love, there's something about it that just, while it's hard to hear and it's tough to sometimes look at when you see yourself, um, there's something about it when you know the people around you giving it to you love you. So um, we do that. And, you know, um, it just really, I guess one of the examples I think of is we've attended the Willow Creek uh, Leadership Summit. Is that a bad word in here, Darrell, Willow Creek? or no? Okay, just checking, but um you go too, I know actually so I know um and we send 20 of our managers 20 of our leaders to this event and uh, and it's a great event from a business standpoint that you get to hear a lot of different leaders speak about leadership styles and different things like that and um, but one of my favorite responses was um, our vice chairman of our company is a Jewish man and uh, and he's talked about I loved hearing Condoleezza Rice last year and I loved you know hearing um, this leader and that leader in the past, he said, but my favorite part of Willow Willow Creek Leadership Summit is the worship. And so, you know, it just touches my heart because I I don't know what kind of seed that's sowing or not sowing. I don't know exactly where it's going, but that's the thing that's impressed upon him. Um, And so when we're deciding whether it's worth it to go to that again, when you, you know, buy 20, you know how expensive it is, when you buy 20 tickets to go to that event, the leaders maybe or maybe the the summit isn't as good this year as it was last year um in our opinion then you know when you have things like that you know it's worth it and that's the kind of influence that sometimes i can have on our owners our owners can have on me just to remind each other of that um and i guess the other thing is to support the leaders as they're doing things that um you know are promoting christianity in our business and uh this past Thursday, it was pretty uh, cool for me because we had a meeting, and earlier in the week, Mark Melnadine and I had met, and he had said to me you know i 've really been convicted recently about praying more he said he said, "I just sometimes I get through the day or two days go by, and i 've gone through a million decisions and some real high pressure ones he goes and i haven 't even thought about God and i 've just felt convicted about that, uh, and I think there's something about our relationship because you know we both have this Uh, commonness of that that he feels comfortable saying that to me but it also adds some accountability to him and so this past Thursday we had our our leadership team of eight people in a room and uh, we were going through one of these sessions where I was talking about beginning of the year you set goals and so we were giving the hard feedback to each other um, mostly in love sometimes maybe not in love but you know um, and it was painful for some people it was painful for some of us you know to hear some of those things really painful I think when you know it's true right and so um, at the end of it, um, Mark stood up and he said, I really feel just a sense to pray for us. And uh, the eight of us stood around our table and held hands, and Mark prayed for our team. And that's pretty cool at the workplace to do that. But I feel like, again, that's a responsibility. I have to support him in some of those things because I don't know how many times I've thought it and not done it or wanted to do it and haven't done it, but when you kind of have support from one another, those things seem to happen. I guess my last point is, uh, what I'm thinking people were expecting is, how do you witness to the people who you work with in the workplace? And uh, my style at Melnati's has been um, talk about it less and just live it. Um, And so there's there's a woman I think of when I think of this, and there's many stories like this, not just with me, but many people in our company. And she's kind of, the, she, she had a rough upbringing, you know, um, I've worked with her for over 20 years, and not a lot of parenting or direction in her life, and amazing, she turned out as successful as she did with the lack of what she had in her life, abuse, and those kind of things, and she's the kind of person who, when something like Sandy Hook Elementary comes up, she's like, why does God let good things happen, you know, or bad things happen to good people, or, you know, children, and and that kind of thing, and I think the beauty of this is I don't have to have the, I don't know the answer, right? And I don't pretend to know the answer with her, but I always try to encourage her to turn herself back to asking God about that. Go to him, talk to him about it. Be angry with him. It's okay. He's big enough to handle your anger. Um, And we've had that conversation seven, eight times in our 20 years about different events. And I don't know exactly where she is in her walk. I don't know what seed I'm sowing. I I don't know if it'll take or not, but I'm just trying to plant seeds where those opportunities come up. And that's the best way I know in the workplace um, when, you know, when people, I'm not sure if they're open to it or not open to it. I just try to present myself as a Christian and be there for people, especially through their pain um, and what's going on in their life. And so, um, in closing, I'd say, you know, my challenge and your challenge would be to be the people planting those seeds along the, line, along the way, and hopefully maybe one day those people might be standing in front of their church telling you, talking about you, that maybe you were the one planting the seed in their life, just like Mark planted a seed in my life 20-some years ago. So thanks for letting me talk today.
2: um pastor asked me to share today about living a life of faith in the workplace so a lot of you know me some of you don't but i i work like pretty much most of you guys would and i work at the hyatt corporation um actually i work at the hyatt regency o'hare which is where we have the ascension convention every year so a lot of you are familiar with that place um and you know it's kind of a funny story for me personally about how i've became an employee of the Hyatt, now I'm still an employee of the Hyatt. I've been with them for 10 short years, and it's flown by very, very fast, and never ever in my life, when I took my job, my first job with Hyatt at the age of 17, when I was still in high school, would I think that I would still be with the company 10 years later. But alas, here I am, and you know, I've learned a lot for it, and I'm really grateful for it, and I have no major complaints at this point. Um, So like I mentioned, I started my job with the company when I was 17, front desk, part-time, not a big deal. I grew up going to conferences and events and hotels so I thought hotels were really awesome. We're very Hyatt loyal here at CLC which I appreciate Um, and I thought it would be the coolest job ever to get the chance to work at a Hyatt. Could anything possibly be better? So I got the job. I was really excited. quickly found out working at a place is not the same experience that you have when you're perhaps a client or a guest of that place. Um, Nonetheless, it's a really good first job. I learned a lot. I did it all the way through high school and then all the way through college while I was attending the Bible college here at Christian Life. Um, Again, no real plans to make it like a full-time thing ever, (laughs) but I kind of finished school here. I remember that I graduated from college, and the day after I graduated, I remember thinking, What do I do now? Uh, I have a degree in ministerial studies with a minor in theology from here, and there's not a lot of jobs that really call for a degree in theology in the working world. So I did my internship with a company that you guys are aware of called Mission Possible, who we support, and I spent the summer after I graduated traveling through Europe. Cut to the end of the summer, I get back here stateside, and I still need a job. So I'm like, you know, I'll just do this Hyatt thing a little bit longer. I transferred to a different hotel, the hotel where the Ascension's at, and I start working in a different position in the sales office. So I basically started as an administrative assistant in the sales office at this hotel. And I remember uh, the first year or so that I was there, it was really kind of different. It was a new hotel, it was a new job, I didn't know what I was doing, I didn't know the people, I it wasn't what I thought I'd be doing when I graduated from school, so it was kind of a weird thing to get. In the habit of Um, and I grew up in a family where everything we do we do it for the Lord but most of the things that we do are like in the ministry world so I had never had to take that attitude out into the real world quote unquote I went to um, private school so I was in eighth grade and then high school public for four years only and then Bible College so my real-world experience had been pretty limited to only the four years that I was in high school and during that time I was still very very involved at the church all the time Um, So that always was a really big balancing voice, And so there was a lot of things I had to reconcile at the beginning stages of how possibly I could serve the Lord in that kind of environment. I'm not traveling, I'm not helping anyone, I don't see a direct result of the fruit of my labor. So the first year that I was there was kind of a challenge for me and I remember so vividly that I would want to stand on the desk in my cubicle and just yell at everyone, what are you doing? We're wasting our lives here, we're not doing anything that matters. I don't even have a job that really makes a positive difference in anyone's life. I'm a salesperson now. So basically, my job exists to make my company money and also myself money. So it's kind of hard to see any great depth in that sometimes. Um, So, again, the first year or so was pretty hard for me there. And I remember this one day in particular. I spent literally eight hours transferring data from one report into an Excel document so that they could utilize it in a meeting. And I remember thinking, like, really? Like... This is what I'm getting paid for. This is all that I'm doing. Um, And I don't know that I had a really good attitude at the beginning of all that. Over the years, I think things have definitely changed um, in a positive way. I've been at that office now for five years. And in that five years, I've had, I think, five different jobs. So I've gotten a promotion about once a year since I've been there. And I've had the opportunity to learn a lot of things and get to know a lot of people that I never anticipated that I would. Um, And I think that all really changed when I kind of started to change my attitude about what i could do with my time while i was at the hyatt and when i began to understand basically that i'm a christian whether i'm in a foreign country whether i'm here at church whether i'm at walmart or whether i'm at the hyatt what does that mean and i really started to think about all of those things Um, and over the next few years i think i really went through kind of a transformation in my relationship with the lord as i began to understand more and more that my number one um, priority and my number one life goal is to be in relationship with God and that's it. There's nothing else beyond that. That's your starting point and if you don't start there then everything else doesn't matter. You could be a pastor and if you're not in a good relationship with the Lord what are you you doing? You could probably just be fooling people but that's about it. Um, So I don't know what your jobs are um, and you might do something really awesome that really does change the world or you could be a doctor and you could help people every day but again I'm still still at the Hyatt ten years later doing things that benefit the company and I guess benefit myself when I get a paycheck and I don't feel bad about it anymore because in the five years that I've been there I've gotten to know all the people that I work with there are about six hundred employees at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare I don't know all of them I don't see all of them and in my office there's probably about 50 employees and those are the people that I see probably more than anyone else in my life. I'm there about 50 hours a week. So over time you get to know people and you know their stories, you know why they're there, you know why they hurt, you know why they're with who they're with, you know what their opinions are about religion, you know what their opinions are about the church, you know what their opinions are about God. And my industry in particular, it's very um, entertainment driven and it's very godless. And the world in general is obviously a pretty godless place, unfortunately. But again, I had not been exposed to that a lot, coming straight from church and Bible college. So that was a bit of an adjustment to, too. too. Um, and everyone there knows that we have our convention there every year. Everyone there knows that my dad's a pastor, so everyone there then knows also that I'm a Christian. And I felt a really big burden with that because as I got to know these people over the years that I was there. And I begin to care for them, and I begin to love them and see why they were the way that they were, and understand their history and what makes them function on a day-to-day basis. I want, to this day, so desperately to be able to communicate the love of God to them. But how do we do that? It's a challenge, especially where I work. I'm literally, I think, the only person that I know that goes to church on a regular basis. There might be a couple people that go to a Catholic service now and again, and beyond that, my boss is a raging atheist, and it's just, it's not an environment that I was accustomed to. Um, And if you're in that kind of environment as well, I can relate, it's difficult, and it can be hard to function how you think God would want you to function. The thing that I still struggle with is, now that I know how some of these people feel about my faith and my God and my church and my Christianity and my religion, how do I break their image of all of that? And the thing is, I don't know that I can and I don't know that you can. Um, we have a lot of weird groups come to our hotel, including some really bad Christian groups that are just a little a little weird, a little crazy, and don't necessarily set the example that I would want of my savior and my idea of what Christianity is. Um, and so I feel like I have to combat that all the time. And the thing is, We're not the people that can change the lives of other people. All that we can do is be the best version of ourselves on a daily basis. And the way that we can do that is finding our true identity in our relationship with the Lord. If we are in constant communion with God and we have issues like everyone else, but we're dealing with those issues, through the lens of how Jesus would want us to deal with those issues those are the things that people see and witness that are different than how everyone else handles it. I don't have any crazy stories to tell you where I've gotten someone radically saved in my office or my atheist boss is converting to Christianity any day now but I do know that I know a lot about all of the people that I work with, and I know that they know that I'm always available to talk to, and that they can share with me, and that I'm not going to judge them. And I think that's a great thing in and of itself, because we live in a very judgmental world. We're not called to judge the people or the things that they do in their life. We're called to love them, and we're called to just live the best version of a Christian life that we possibly could live. Um, The verse that is kind of the key verse for this series, Life of Faith is Colossians, 317 which is and whatever you do or say do it as a representative of the lord jesus giving thanks through him to god the father if you skip down a little bit further in chapter 3 it says verse 23 work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the lord rather than for people I really take that to heart because there are still days where I'm at the office and I'm like, what am I doing that really matters? It's easy to get a bad attitude, but honestly, if you're stuck in that bad attitude, you're not doing anything that really matters because you're doing a job that may not be important and you're doing it with a bad attitude, so you're not setting any kind of godly example for anyone. Um, So I think over the years, the thing that's really helped me a lot is to know that I'm doing the best as I can as a servant of the Lord in my day-to-day life wherever that is including at my office and it's hard it's not easy I do love my job but I'm coming off of a week or two where it was the kind of week where I just wanted to go home I didn't want to talk to anyone at the end of the day I just wanted to go home have the day be over with go to bed and start over and then having to know that I'm coming to talk to you about living a life of faith in the workplace after having a couple days of where remembering how challenging that can be and remembering how You still got to deal with whatever your day to day life is in the workplace. I get it. I'm there every day. Um, So that's kind of what I can implore you to do is just press into God for your own personal life, whatever you're worried about at work, whether it be being treated unfairly or not being a good representation of Christ or not having your job matter. Look at all of those things and feel all of those emotions. Feel through the filter of your value as a human being god created you and you're valuable because of that period he values his relationship with you no matter where you work and he knows where you are he wants you to be where you are and if he doesn't then let him change that um, and then also i just want to throw in that i work in kind of a competitive environment we are a sales office so most of the people that i work with are very similar in a lot of ways we're very we like to be the best at everything that we do and we pretty much have been our, whole life. So it gets a little competitive. Um, And that can get a little frustrating because you don't want to have negative emotions all the time with your coworkers. And so I had to go through some things with that as well. And like I mentioned, this is my fifth job that I've had at this hotel in the last five years, which is kind of a lot. Um, And there's still a lot more jobs that I could take there in the future, Lord willing. Um, But really, the thing that I've done is just let God be my promoter there. You can't put your security in the hands of your boss, you can't put your security in the hands of your HR department or your coworkers. you have to put your security in your life and at your job in God's hands and when you feel comfortable in that and when you are living your life in a way that God wants you to in the workplace at least in my experience then things become available to you that you're not even trying to pursue Um, so that would just be my encouragement to you and I hope that you can get something out of my story at the Hyatt. Uh, no, I cannot get you a discount at the hotel, so please, please don't ask me. And that's it. Have a, have a great
3: Thank you, Tyler. And no, I cannot get you out of a ticket either, so stop asking me. All right. Um, what about pizza? I can't get you a pizza. Oh, Jim's. Yeah, You'll uh, talk to Jim. All right. Before I dive into this, uh, I want to just say a couple things. The breakfast we had yesterday, the men's breakfast, was outstanding. The uh, guys did their great job setting it up, as always. And Had a good time, a good word, good worship, so thank you guys for braving that and coming out, braving it, it's two inches of snow. If you didn't, you're a sissy, I'll tell you that from the pulpit. So thank you for coming out, it was a great time, and uh, we'll be doing that again coming up. And for the Super Bowl party this afternoon, if you guys want to come out, it's going to be a good time. We have uh, good food that's going to be there, so uh, just see me in the lobby afterwards. And final announcement, we have an Iron Sharpens Iron convention, or a... uh, conference coming up March 16th. There's a sign-up sheet in the lobby. It's a one-day conference. I'll be giving you more details as it gets forward, but mark your calendar for that. Um, That's in Rockford. All right, got that stuff out of the way. So, uh, talking about faith and work, and I I came up here with a tool that's very vital to police work, which would be a flashlight. Ten of my years in my career, I worked on midnight shift, and anytime you get out of the car, you grab your flashlight. And then when I transition to day shift, you're still in that habit. Get out of the car, it's you know, 12 o'clock in the afternoon and bright and sunny, and I grab my flashlight, I'm like, what am I doing with this? But uh, the flashlight's a very important tool in the line of work that I'm in. And as you can see in church, I, I make the comparison that if I turn the flashlight on in church, you, you can see it. And it, it is, it's kind of bright, but uh, you, you can still see the light a little bit. However, Stephen, would you do me a favor and kill the lights here? All right, so now you take a flashlight when it's dark, and uh, you see the different impact it has. All right, you can bring the lights back up, thank you. Or not. All right. Um, And and what that made me think of is, is our role in the workplace. Now, I graduated from Bible college with a pastoral degree, and sometimes I'd have religious people come up to me, oh, great, you're going to be a pastor, you feel called to the ministry, and I'm like, I'm not going to be a pastor. And there was almost like this disappointment in them that, oh, what are you going to do? And so it's like, if I'm not actually a paid pastor, then I'm not called to the ministry. But what we're going to find out today is we are all called to the ministry. We are all called to full-time ministry. You might not get paid for the ministry aspect of it, but that's what our calling is for every one of us. And where this has really hit home is in a famous passage on light and dark and that's found in Matthew chapter 5 verses 14 through 16 you are the light of the world a city on a hill cannot be hidden neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl instead they put it on its stand and gives light to everyone in the house in the same way let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven we are the light of the world so when we shine our lights here at church, and it's, you can see it a little bit, that, that's kind of like our life as if you know we're living out our Christian walk at church where there's already light, the impact isn't that bit, that great. But when you go into your workplace, you're shining a light among darkness. And that's where the light really comes out. It needs that dark place to shine. And that is our call. That is the call that Jesus Christ is giving us here. Now this is a verse that my kids could recite for you because I tell them all the time, they are in public schools, and they'll, maybe they'll hear something that a little inappropriate at school, or see something, or be exposed to something, come home, want to talk about it, and it always comes back to, you are a light for this world. You are a light in that school, and you're there for a reason. And so we have that talk, and then how is it different for kids than for us as adults, that we are the light in the darkness, and that's where we need to be. So Jesus gives us a call, and there's three parts of this call that I want to talk about this morning. I will go quick. The first one is we are called to be light. We are called to be bright, and we are called to unite. So first off, we are called to be bright. It says, let your light shine. Let your light shine. It's your light. It's each one of you unique to your workplace, let your unique light shine. As Steve Sisler talked to us a couple of weeks ago about your story. So I would, I would just, uh, you can even substitute that, let your story shine. Whatever your story is of your life, let that shine and be an influence to those around you. John Eldridge, who wrote the book Wild at Heart, uh, has this quote that I want to read to you. There is no other no other person who can replace you in your life in the arena you've been called to. If you leave your place in the line, it will remain empty. No one else can be who you are meant to be. You are the hero in your story, not a bit player, not an extra, but the main person. It's your story. It's not Pastor Daryl's story for him to shine the light in your workplace. It's not Pastor Fred, well, obviously not Pastor Fred's, but it's not Pastor Merrill. It's none of the other pastors. It's for kids. It's not Pastor Mike. It's, it's your story going into your workplace. And what is the story you are telling at work? We talked about this briefly at the men's breakfast, but I'll specify it now to work. What story are you telling with your life at work? Are you one of those people that comes in and someone asks, how's your day? And you say, "It oh, is it 5 o'clock yet? Or, how are you doing today? Oh, one day closer to retirement. Is that the story that you want to be telling people at work? Do you maybe get offended by a boss and so what do you do the next day? Oh, call in sick. I'll show them. I'll stick it to them. Is that the story that you want to be leaving behind? Is that the light that you are called to shine at your work? Is it to be a gossip? I mean, schoolgirls have nothing on cops when it comes to gossip. Man, they just stand around and just talking bad about everybody else. Somebody gets promoted, and of course, nobody wants to congratulate them, but behind their back, they're just tearing them apart. You know, how did they get that? What were they doing? Oh, yeah, and it's just on and on, and it's pitiful. And, you know, sometimes I get sucked into that. Well, see, I say that, so it's like no fault of mine. They just suck me in. Sometimes I will partake in that. And is that the story that I want my work life to be telling? No, it's not. We are a light. And if we're just as dim as the rest of the people out there, then what's the purpose of us even being a light? So let's be bright, let's be different, and let's influence the darkness. Secondly, we are called to be a sight. says that they may see your good deeds. They may see your good deeds. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, and 12. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. <clears throat> this is not a verse on the uh, role of government. This, I'm not going on that tangent. But this talks about your ambition to lead a quiet life, mind your own business, so they may see your good deeds. Now, 1 Thessalonians, I mean, who who is the author of this book? Any Bible scholars out there? Paul. Paul wrote these letters. Paul is saying, lead a quiet life. Is there anything about Paul's life that makes you think of the word quiet? No. But yet Paul sees the value of a quiet, hardworking life to win respect. That there's times when you don't talk. There's times when you let your words and your actions speak for you. And that's what we are called to do here. And then in First Peter, First Peter 2, uh, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Again, we are to be seen, we are to be a sight. And I think about this in my own work life. And when I started, I just graduated Bible college, and I was a pastor's kid, still am a pastor's kid, and I just had this squeaky queen life, clean, not a queen life, a clean life, and I uh, avoided the party scene, I avoided drinking, swearing, and all that, and just, just none of that made sense to me. And I was just so brand spanking new when I just turned 22 and became a police officer, and I was exposed to words and actions and behavior that I never knew existed. And it, I was out of place. I was a fish out of water. And then just recently, I had this sergeant who was just a man's man, a hunter, a gun guy, I mean, really, I mean comes to work in camouflage, all I mean, he's just one of those type of guys. And he came up to me and just in passing he said this to me, he said, Mark, you know, I had my doubts about you, but you have proven yourself. And just in the midst of conversation, then went on, and I'm thinking number one, I didn't realize that I was being watched so closely. And number two, to hear this guy's guy that everybody likes and respect say that I've proven myself, I've been here 15 years. So sometimes this is going to take a long time. And then recently, we had, well, last year we had our Homers and Hot Dogs softball event. And after the softball, we gather around the tables in the lobby there and just have some discussion questions. And the the first question was, who is Jesus Christ in the flesh to you in your life today? And I brought a friend of mine from work, and he sat by me. We were going around the table, and he answers, and he says, well, I'd have to say you, Mark. And I was just, I was embarrassed. I didn't know what to do. I mean, yes, I was speechless. And uh, it, was, it was just strange, but, and I don't say that to say, oh, yeah, look at me. I'm great. It was just like, you know, we are good friends, but, I can count on one hand the time we've had spiritual discussions with one another. But it was my life. It's my behavior, my actions, that even though he doesn't really know Jesus, when he thinks of Jesus, he thought of me. And that's the example that we need to be living out to be a sight to those around us. And finally, we are called to, to unite that they may praise your father in heaven. We are called to unite people to Jesus Christ. That's our ultimate goal is to unite people to Christ. Now, how I do this in my workplace, I'll just share my personal examples. It's for me the biggest thing for me has been to be there in times of crisis. That's when people are most open to hearing about what Christ has to offer. So what's that meant for me? That's been on the on the listening end of conversations from coworkers about divorce about being involved in affairs, about being uh, on the verge of being fired from the job, about the verge of being sued by someone. And all these conversations, and they're very open, and people have called me, and they've talked to me. I've had uh, you know, tough police officers crying to me, not knowing what to do. And I've been able to be there for them. And a lot of times, I didn't know what to say, but it was just listening and just being there for them. I think of Rudy Giuliani, in his book on leadership, he says that for him, weddings are optional, but funerals are mandatory. So for him to go to a wedding, he said, people won't really miss him if he's not there. It's a big party day. But if he goes to a funeral, that's something special, that means a lot. And I've found that with coworkers. If they have a relative or a friend or someone that dies and I get the chance to go to those funerals and be there for them. Do you think I enjoy that? No. I can't stand it. I I don't know what to say. It's awkward. It's just the same response all of you have. But I do it because I feel that it's something I need to be doing for them. And that's where I can shine my light. And the relationships I've built by being there for people in times of crisis have been great. And then finally, when it comes to being in times of crisis for people, for me it's been praying with people and not just praying for people. I'll have guys at work that aren't Christians, that aren't saved, and they'll tell me their problems, what they're going through, and I will say, can I pray with you? And there's some very awkward prayers that happen there. It, I, I have prayed with, I was going through this list in my head, I've prayed with coworkers in the parking lot of the police station, in the halls of the police station, over the phone, in hospital rooms, and in the men's locker room. So... It's just been some awkward moments of me, you know, very stiff, putting my hand on someone's shoulder, and they're even more stiff because they don't know anything about this. And then I'll I'll pray with them, and it'll just be quick. But again, something as tangible is done there. And for me, that's just been a huge thing to be able to break through what other people are going through. You know, there, there have been times where I have ignored the Holy Spirit's calling in my life, You know, go say something to this person. Go pray with this person. And I've ignored that. Every time I've ignored that, I've regretted it ever since. But those times where I've listened to what I thought was the Holy Spirit to go do this with someone, to go pray with someone, never, not one time have I regretted it. So the challenge I would lay out to you and lay to myself is listen to the Holy Spirit, prompting you to do that. If you're wrong, is it okay, so you pray with someone and it doesn't go well. What? What, is it? What, what harm is done in there? So listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to that voice. So let us be that light in a dark place. This is our calling. And I want to close with a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Set out to do a good job and do that job so well that nobody can do it any better. If it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. So I'll leave you with this, that whatever you do, we are told in Colossians, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men.
0: A um, a big thank you to, to Jim and Jen and Mark for sharing. And I know that uh, um, that their wise counsel spoke to us today and that they are available for you if you have questions. They're tw- trusted advisors to me, and so I know that they will uh, lead and guide you if you have any questions or anything you want to talk with them after service or pray with them about or in the weeks to come. So um, I just want to say thank you to Jim and Mark and, and uh, Jen as well for being a part of today, I always say this uh, when it comes to sharing Jesus: is that there's five gospels. The story of Jesus is told five different ways. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story in the Bible, and the fifth gospel is your life. And the problem is, is that most people will never read the first four. They're only going to read your life. And so, how are you living for Jesus? How are you sharing and shining your light to this world? And I hope you've been challenged today and and encouraged today uh, to do that more often. We're going to receive an offering just before we go. We do this every Communion Sunday. It's an offering for uh, the under-resourced, the the poor that are among us, uh, for those that are in need. This is an above and beyond offering. This is not your, your tithes that you give to the church. This is an offering that goes to help people in need. And so this isn't for everybody to give in. If, if you uh, are struggling and, and it's hard to pay monthly bills, please don't feel any obligation to give. But if God has blessed you and you have more money at the end of the month uh, and uh, you want to give it to somebody who's in need, uh, it's watched very judiciously by Pastor Merrill as, uh, as people come in for help. Also, there are needs, literally, not just in our community, but around the world uh, that we're able to help. And again, it goes to people uh, who are in need. So everything given in this offering uh, goes toward that. And so if you're able to give, feel free to give. And it's our way of just being obedient to God when God blesses us to bless others. So I'm going to invite the men and women to come forward, and uh, let's just pray. God, we thank you uh, for such a good day uh, in, in your presence, Lord, and Such great words uh, shared from this pulpit. Lord, we've seen people saved at work and being a light at work and and just sharing you at work, God. And and may it not just be three of us, but maybe 300 of us. And may we shine your light this week. Right now, Lord, we pray that that our light would shine through this offering. And uh, Lord, those that are under resourced around us, that uh, God, they would be blessed and, and that we would be able to help them and they would know, God. Um, that you haven't forgotten about them and that you're helping to take care of them. And so, Lord, be a blessing through us uh, to others as we give to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You have your bulletin. There's a lot of great announcements in there, but I know there's a special announcement uh, for the the spa night for the women. So uh, I think uh, Laura and Sarah are coming. And uh, great things happening for men, but uh, also some good things happening for women and a football,
4: too. Right, we have a special announcement for the ladies, but in honor of Super Bowl Sunday, we've decided to football it up a little. So you you go. hang on. I think Milan wants you to throw him the football. Was that Tyler? I can't see. Go do it. Do it, Sarah. Do it. <laughs> Whoa, the long bomb! Fumbled! Nice recovery, Nessa! Alright! All right, well, we're here to call an Audible this morning. So listen up, ladies, especially you out there in the backfield. It's February. The Winter Blahs are trying to break through our defense, sack us. The Blitz is on. So it's time for us to huddle up, not cuddle up, back off. (laughs) Call in the special teams and make some forward progress. If you're a lady, join us for the Women's Ministry Spa Night on Friday, February 22nd for an evening that will be sure to tackle your midwinter slump and improve your field position. Kickoff will be at 7 p.m. in the neutral zone of the gym. There will not be childcare available, so plan to find another player to whom you can make a clean handoff. Don't let it. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. Rush on out to the lobby after service where Marilyn and Jerry, wave, ladies. Marilyn and Jerry will be uh, there with more information and tickets for just $10. But of course, if you pay them $10.25, they'll give you a quarterback.
0: Wow. That was good. That was the most manly woman's announcement I've ever heard, ever, in church. So, good job. That was great. So, um, all that information is on the back of your calendar so you can uh, have, have all that for the men, for the women. We'll see you Wednesday night at Bible study with Steve Sampson here. Would you stand for the blessing of the Lord as we go out and now live out that light? May the Lord bless you and protect you. May he smile on you and be gracious to you. May he show you his favor and give you his peace. God, I thank you that your blessing rests upon us, that when we leave your house, we are not alone. But God, you go with us and you watch over us and you take care of us and and you lead us and you guide us. And so, Lord, may we go out and be the salt and the light that we've heard about today. May we bring glory to your name by everything we say and do. May it bring honor to you. Lord, keep us safe and strong until we can gather together again as the church and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night here with Steve Sampson in our prayer service.